This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. Sort of, sort of break it, break it down like this. I am an Irish robot named Moira, and you're listening to the Two-Headed Nair comic cast with Joe and Matt. Welcome to episode 29 of THN, where Inside Out is wiggity wiggity whack, and we are talking comics and comic news for the week of Wednesday, <laughs> August 10th. My name is Matt Baum, and I know it sounds like I'm reading, but I'm making this all up as I go. And when I'm not dodging bricks and bullets and stomping out flaming bags of dog crap after, quote-unquote, breaking the news of Hellboy's demise, I'm writing about and appraising comics for WorkPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick, artist and co-creator of Good Plus Online, and when I'm not consoling customers and listeners both about their dealings with mean old loudmouth Matt there by concreting my status as the sweet one. I'm the manager of Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. Like anyone listens to this show for breaking news. This week, you'll hear reviews of Detective Comics 881 and Hellboy the Fury, number three. After that, Joe and I will plow through ten comics fast enough to insult any creative team in ludicrous speed round. (laughs) Then we'll play Destiny to your mystique and prophesize about what you should be reading next week. And finally, by the way, I'm running out of characters who can tell the near future. Finally, (laughs) we'll answer your most personal and disturbing questions in Ask a Nerd. But before we get to all that vile hate speech. Let's draw X's on our hands and then cross them out so we can get rip-roaring drunk in preparation for tonight's WWE SummerSlam, where CM Punk is certainly going to get his at the hands of a vengeful and well-oiled John Cena. Then we'll talk about this week's big news. I don't watch wrestling, but I have friends that do, and they told me what's going on. Sure, buddy. Sure. This has been a big week for Marvel. The House of Ideas hit the internet with announcement after announcement over the course of five days, unveiling future story hints, new creative teams on existing titles, and a number of new series all set to debut in November. Now, since any one of these stories would merit a spot in the big news, Matt and I thought we'd share our impressions for all of this week's Marvel announcements. Set it off, Matt! On Monday, Marvel unveiled a pair of images teasing upcoming releases. The first was the relaunch of Uncanny X-Men by Kirian Gillen and Carlos Pacheco. The image shows Emma Frost, not Cyclops, standing in front of a group of characters in silhouette that appears to include Magneto and the Juggernaut, or maybe Colossus? The the Juggernaut helmet! Like, I will do what needs to be done. I think Colossus is the new Juggernaut! Well, I guess it would protect his head from psychic attack. That's right. Right? That's the only use for that stupid looking helmet. The second image featured the classic Fantastic Four symbol and a list of creator names such as Jonathan Hickman, Steve Epting, Carmine, Gian Domenico... (laughs) <laughs> Lionel Francis Yu <laughs> and Pharrell Dalrymple. 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 That's what I'm going to call him. Oh, Lord. And Pharrell Wrinkle Dollar. Now, that's it was just the logo and the names, and that's it. Are we getting there the torch no back already? Are we getting them back I, already? Listen, more, more on that to come. More to come. Tuesday saw another FF teaser with the same list of names, though this image featured artwork by Gabriel Delato depicting Spider-Man, Mr. Fantastic, the Invisible Woman, and the Thing in their white Future Foundation uniforms. The second teaser was for Wolverine and the X-Men that showed Wolverine, of course, standing in front of completely blacked-out group just like Emma's, except none of those silhouettes looked at all familiar. Yeah, even remotely familiar. No recognizable shapes Which whatsoever. Which could just mean time for new costumes. Yeah. Weird. It is weird. Weird. Another FF-centric image hit on Wednesday, this time featuring the original Fantastic Four, including... Johnny Storm, yeah. in a piece by Marvel bigwig Joe Casada, Casada was quick to diffuse rumors of the Human Torch's return, stating that this piece was an anniversary cover commissioned by Marvel 
for multiple usage. Yeah, right. He also yeah, drew right. this live on Twitter, and it was yeah. really cool. It was really impressive. He yeah. showed all his steps. He showed his work, just like in math. It was so awesome. Greg Pak and Mike McCone were announced as the new creative team on Astonishing X-Men with November's issue 44. The news was accompanied by an image of Cyclops and Storm totally sucking face. They were just totally sucking face. Pack confirmed that his run is in continuity. It takes place post-schism, and it looks like rumors of Cyclops' death have been greatly been exaggerated, and he's a slut. I don't know what to think about this. Slutty, slutty Cyclops making out with everybody. I kind of thought Schism was more interesting when I thought Cyclops might die. Isn't Storm a married woman? Yeah. She is married to a very big and powerful black man. And Cyclops is dating a really scary lady, so Mm -hmm. bad idea on both accounts. Brian Michael Bendis and Mike Diodato Jr. are bringing Norman Osborn and his Dark Avengers back. I can't tell you how excited I am about this because I loved that Dark Avengers. Dark Avengers was fun. So good. Yeah. In the pages of New Avengers 18, the roster of the new team is a mystery, but it's clear there's a Hulk and someone that looks like Hawkeye. Uh, Real quick, I just read also that Bendis confirmed there will be versions of Hulk, Thor, Spider-Man, and Hawkeye, and I think even an Iron Man. Huh. So Bullseye played the role of Dark Hawkeye before, but he was killed during Shadowland. Yeah. As for the Hulk character, it's got to be Scar. It's Scar. I think it's got to be Scar. Right? Yeah, Scar hates his dad already. It's not going to be hard to get him to fight him again. It's true, right? Interesting. We'll we'll see what happens. That's going to be the start of like a big crossover between Avengers proper and New Avengers. And so. for clarification, not a Dark Avengers number one. A bunch of people no. were screaming, like, "We don't need another Avengers book." No. It's confined right. to the pages of the regular <sighs> the New Avengers title. Thursday's FF teaser, we're sensing a pattern here, confirmed what I have been saying since Johnny died. The Fantastic Four title will return with issue 600 in November. The teaser featured art by John Romita Jr., and I have to say it was not very good. No. Uh, But it did feature the original FF plus Spider-Man in their traditional outfits. I don't know. Is this going to be like a Captain America and Bucky book where it looks at stories from the past? I don't know. I don't know. I don't either. I, I mean, regardless with these names on it, I'm in. Uh, yeah, I'm in as well, I and I think care. it's exciting. It was obvious when they said we're ending FF at 588, suspiciously one calendar year before FF 600 would right, hit. <laughs> right. It just was obvious to me that it wasn't going to, that Fantastic Four would hit 600. Eventually. Of course. Of course it is. What do you think? This is DC Comics? <laughs> Come on. A new four-issue mini called Victor Von Doom was announced, featuring the awesome creative team of Nick Spencer and Becky Cloonan. Now, if you don't know Becky Cloonan, she's perhaps best known for br- drawing Brian Wood's demo. Which is available in a very affordable soft cover, ah, like an Anonymous amazing edition. book. Excellent yeah. stuff. And I'm very excited for this book. The teaser for the series had the tagline, Doomed to Hell. And the art showed what appeared to be a young Victor Von Doom. And he was like kind of surrounded by demony looking stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wonder if this might be a flashback series uh, about young Doom trying to rescue his mother. You know, that old tale. Could be. But Spencer and Clunan, I am in. The final announcement of Thursday was for Matt Fraction and Pasquale Ferry's Mighty Thor number 8. The teaser showed a very cranky, stone-faced gentleman holding a hammer-like staff and featured the tagline, Tannerus, the new god of thunder! Matt, what does this mean? Well, I mean, I think we know exactly what it means. We've all been waiting for Tannerus, the new god of thunder, to replace (laughs) Thor. Who cares about Thor anymore? I mean, really, you know? And who's ever heard of him in the first I don't care. Uh, Honestly, with this, with Matt Fraction and Pascal Ferry on this book, I really don't care what they do with it. It is so good. 
yeah, that I'm in. I really like it. And but I mean, is, does that is, mean Thor's dying? No, do you think Thor's in fear not going to die? I think maybe Thor's he's going to get fired. He's going to get in trouble. He's going to get removed for not being able to do his job, or he's going to step down. Like I could not stop them on my own, and I'm not the hero yeah. I thought I was. Like he'll give up the hammer or something for a while. But this is Marvel shaking it up. Marvel has to deal with DC cranking out 52 new books in a brand new universe. So Marvel has no choice. But to shake things up a little bit. And yeah. these all sound like really fun announcements. Yeah, so far. And again, and I'm not slamming DC here, but props to Marvel for doing it within their universe, within their books, and keeping up the level of quality they've been doing. That's a different debate. It's not a slam. I'm just, you know, it's not <laughs> I mean, like, DC is keeping just, it within their books. I'm glad we're getting a Fantastic yes. Four 600. Me it's, too. It's good yes. news. Yes, I agree. Marvel ran it out the week with three more announcements. First up, Thor, the Deviant Saga by Robert Rohde and Sounds Steven Segovia. Filthy. Yeah, it really does. Rhodey has become known for his Thor spinoff books like Loki and Thor for Asgard, both of which were really good. I haven't read them. They were fun. This good. series will pit the former, question mark, Joe Patrick has written here, God of Thunder against the Deviants, the evil tenors, counterparts buddy. of the Eternals, who I love. I love the Eternals. Scotty Young, artist of Marvel's Wizard of Oz adaptations, will try his hand at writing with the four-issue miniseries called Magneto, Not a Hero. The series will be illustrated by Age of X artist Clay Mann, who I don't love, and I will like feature him. apparently the return to villainy for the Master of Magnetism after he's caught on camera killing humans. What? I'm sure there's more than meets the eye here. Yeah, probably. I, they've gone way out of their way to establish that Magneto is not necessarily a good guy now, but is firmly on the side of the X-Men. Yes. And yes. has realized we, we've got to protect mutants first and foremost, and this is probably the way to do it. What about Scott Young being a writer? How do we feel about that? I have no idea. I think we all know that I make a certain sound when I see artists are writing books. Yeah, I, I believe like it's this. something like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Finally, Marvel released one last teaser, this one featuring an interesting twist. It looks like the Future Foundation will survive the Fantastic Four relaunch. Marvel confirmed that November will see the release of FF12 by Jonathan Hickman and Juan Bobillo. Huh. Bobillo. Juan Bobolo. Juan Bobolo. The art for the teaser depicted the children of the Future Foundation alongside Dragon Man with little glasses and all. I love silly super smart Dragon he's Man. He's a robot. Why does he uh, need glasses? No, it's but so I love good. it. But without any of the superhero members of the cast, the image featured the tagline, It's not over! It's not! Oh, I love it. Yeah. And this is going to make me go back on my anti-Franklin Richards superhero story stance. Franklin had a big moment this week. <sighs> we'll talk about it. We'll get there. Uh, I think there's definitely room in the Marvel Universe for an FF book and the Fantastic Four. I think there's room for as many FF Hickman books as he wants to write. I'll take (laughs) them all. That's true. That's true. And the idea that maybe the superheroing stuff will be removed from FF and that the focus might shift to the kids and the actual science work. I love it. I'm yeah, very excited. Love it. It it sounds like a different tone, and I'm excited to find out what's going to happen. this week's big news if you want to discuss these stories or anything you think we've missed hit us up on our facebook page where dj and i have been recounting the hilarious story of the time i accidentally <laughs> touched my wand <laughs> to his mobile i did not read the script before <laughs> It's time for reviews. As always, Joe and I, Indian leg wrestle to see who goes first, and I was no match for DJ's hammy hocks today. I've been practicing. So take it away, Jojo. My pick of the week was Detective Comics 881 by Scott Snyder with art by Jock 
and Francesco Francavia. Colors for this issue were by Francavia and David Barron. This is it, the grand finale of Scott Snyder's epic run on Detective Comics. James Gordon Jr. has finally revealed his true nature and his sister Barbara is his next victim. Now, Batman and Commissioner Gordon must race to stop the Commissioner's son from murdering his daughter and poisoning Gotham's little baby children's. This has been such a great run. Uh, Snyder, Jock, and Frank Avia have crafted a like a really terrifying thriller, which is hard in comics. Yeah, really good, solid suspense. <laughs> yeah, man, creepy stuff, and some of the reveals were so gross. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, and this has been building since they started their run last year. Now this issue is heavy on dialogue and exposition, but it's all compelling. Like I could have probably read an entire issue of James Jr. and Barbara sitting in the dark. And talking and having him just explain to her what he's going to yeah, do. Yeah, the voice that Scott Snyder developed for James Jr. That dude really has problems. Solid. Snyder has made James a terrifying villain, but without turning him into like a ridiculous cartoon character like a lot of Batman villains tend to be. Uh, and even his take on existing villains like Scott Snyder's Joker mm-hmm. was friggin' scary. Yeah. Oh, God. I hated it. It ruined me. Now, as the ending comes... It does seem like they might be headed for a kind of a cliched standoff. But I have to give Snyder credit for swerving at the last minute and delivering a satisfying conclusion. And he leaves the door open for a follow-up story. And I hope that the... Wait, when are we going to get to that follow-up story? Like, is this after the relaunch fails and we decide to go back to the old DCU or what? Well, he's taking over Batman. It's not like he's going to stop writing Batman. I, mean, I suppose, but... I mean, Barbara can walk and stuff, so I would... Well, I'm not talking about a follow... Okay. I'm just saying. I'm not saying, and James comes back and kidnaps Barbara again! <laughs> You're living in the past, No, old man. nothing like that. Uh, it's just, he, he opens the door, he, he sets up something, and I don't want to spoil it, because it's really good. I'm trying to think of what I want to say without revealing the ending, so I'm just going to say nothing. That's good radio, right? What an amazing review, folks. And if that doesn't sell you on this book, <laughs> I don't know what's Listen, going to. It was just a really great finish to a, a nice, this was like a 10-issue chunk, and not every issue was solely devoted to the James Jr. story. No, there was a lot of other stuff going on. They but introduced it was, quite a few new characters, too. It was always building in the background, and I just really liked the slow build up to this point. And to give them even more credit, they had to do this in the midst of DC, like, introducing second features, and then, oh, no, wait, we're holding the line. Your backup stories are canceled. Right. And so I think this Commissioner Gordon story was all supposed to play out in the backups. And he seamlessly wove it into the main narrative. Could have lost a lot of steam, but yeah, it, it didn't. worked really well, even with the two really different art styles. Too. Right. Like Jock and Frank and Via. You can't get any more angular and spastic than Jock. You can't <laughs> spastic get, like, is a good word for any it. Any more like classic feeling than Frank. And yes, Mia, you know? yes. And the art in this book and during the whole run has just been amazing. Uh, Frank Avia does a great job setting the dark mood with his super muted color palette. And he just creates this kind of tense atmosphere. Even yeah, that though, guy is just nailing it. It's true. I love him. He's become one of my favorites recently. Yes. And even though his art is a little on the cartoony side... And not super detailed. That's why I like him. Because he's drawing like an animator. It's not cartoony in like a ha way. No. It's cartoony in a like minimalist. Right. Uh, you know, it's a lot of uh, shapes and colors. Not a lot of, not in contrast to Jock, who is a lot of lines and details. Right. He's uh, got more of like a Will Eisner kind of point of view where he's drawing like an animator. Yeah. Love it's, it. 
It's fantastic, and I think that guy is going to be a star. Jock is, of course, great as always. Total badass. And even though the art styles are completely different, they mesh together very well because you've got Frank Avila primarily handling the conversation aspects with James and Barbara. We should say that Jock and Frank Avila are telling two essentially different stories. Yes, and meanwhile, Jock is dealing with the commissioner and Batman kind of racing the clock. Jock delivers some fantastic action sequences. The muted colors by Frank Avia and Baron have been pretty essential in keeping the tone of this book consistent. You couldn't have done it with like full color, bright, vibrant. I mean, it wouldn't have worked. And they have got this kind of dark red and blue kind of color palette that is just makes this book look amazing. Now, there is a moment at the end of this book between Dick out of costume and Commissioner Gordon that I cannot talk about. Because it's super spoily. Again, reviewing the things that we cannot review. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> you'll you'll know it when you get to it. And suffice it to say that I'm really glad that Snyder kind of took this track. I hate the head-in-the-sand Commissioner Gordon. Yeah. And I like the Commissioner Gordon that is way we're, smarter. We're stumped, Batman. Yeah, it, I like the Commissioner Gordon that's way smarter than he's given credit for. And there's a moment at the end of this book, you'll know when you see it. That made me really happy. Things are said without actually saying them. I'll say no more. This book is amazing. It gets a strong buy it. Not just this book, but the whole run. Yeah, uh, I'm saying that as well. Snyder's whole run, strong buy it from me. I'm really looking forward to the new Batman stuff that he does here. And I hope he can stay within these themes because he's just nailing it. I yeah, love it. Agreed. Matt, what have you got for us? Well, kids, this week I read Hellboy the Fury number three from Dark Horse, and I'm just going to get it out there right now. This is not a spoiler-free review, and unless you live under a rock, you know Hellboy is dead. This one was written by Mike Mignola with art by Duncan Fergredo, colors by Dave Stewart, another amazing colorist. Absolutely. very much reminded me. I'm going to say what was going on in Detective was very much influenced by Dave Stewart's colors on these books. Yeah. It is there. I'll buy that. This is the conclusion of the story that we've seen building since the first appearance of Big Red and the final story that began in Hellboy Darkness Calls, continued in The Wild Hunt, and then most recently carried through The Storm. This is the final confrontation between Hellboy and the Witch Queen, Nemu, who turns out to be an even bigger threat than he imagined. There was a brief time that I didn't love that Mignola had given up the art duties on mm. Hellboy. And it's because I'm a huge Mignola guy. Sure. I, I have Mike Mignola work tattooed on my body. We've talked love about the guy. it. That is all firmly behind me now. <laughs> Duncan Figrido is not aping Mignola, but has done his homework. And if this is his final thesis then I give him a strong A for his Hellboy class. This is incredible. <laughs> like, the guy is I'm every page. The The comic starts with the conclusion of the gigantic Hellboy and Nimu, Nimui, whatever, battle. It's probably Nimu. In these sprawling, brilliant panels full of more smoke and lightning and fire and crackling supernatural energy than a Jack Kirby comic. It, it This is... Some of the best comic illustration I've seen in a fight scene, in a kinetic, moving, big, slam-bang fight scene mm-hmm. ever. Yeah. I mean, ever. I'm not just freaking out because I've drank too much coffee here. There isn't a whole lot of story to this issue, but what we do get, like I said, the biggest comic battle scene I can remember. Yeah. This is the issue to silence the critics who thought Darkness Calls and The Wild Hunt moved a little too slow. This last series, The Fury, was pretty much... A little bit of setup, Hellboy being gifted it was a big action scene, Excalibur yeah. to lead the undead yeah. army of England against the dead army of the Witch Queen. 
And he decides, nope, not going to do it that way because I'm not a king. You know, I'm going to go punch this thing in the face and yell at it, <laughs> basically. Yeah, hit it repeatedly until it falls down. Um, I'm not sure what other people were reading after they read The Fury number 2, but there was no way Hellboy was getting out of the story alive. It's I mean, true. I saw this coming a mile away. Yeah. After I read issue 2, I was like, oh, he is dead. He's yeah. completely dead. And I think it's been kind of... Uh, word of that of this has kind of been on the wind for a, right. a while now right. that Mignola is this is like Hellboy's last stand is the OK Corral yeah and Hellboy is uh, and gonna go down and the blaze setup glory. couldn't have been more perfect yeah. it really couldn't have Mignola and Fagredo they set this book in a class all its own by giving us this gigantic setup and then delivering on it by actually killing the character not mm. Cable coming to kill you know a and then living through it being all right that's for a while <laughs> that's right you know i mean he dies and when i say die gets his heart ripped out of his chest it catches on fire and a witch throws it into hell yeah and he turns to <laughs> dust turns into a pile of dust he dies for Grado's art is amazing yes. here and made even better by stewart's colors as i said it's beautiful i hate to it's say it beautiful, beautiful i book. think this book might look better than some of my favorite mike mcnola hellboy art this is what? it's gorgeous. It is there's a page where um, Nemu is fully transformed into the dragon and is standing on Hellboy, who's being visited by this ageless little girl named Vasilisa, who we last saw in uh, Darkness Calls. And the colors are just suddenly ripped from these bright oranges and yellows and reds to this really deep like grays and blues. And the art is very muted as we see Vasilisa crying. And holding this this raven and talking to Hellboy, like asking him if it hurts. Yeah. Like, well, he's well, he's obviously dying. So well done. And then the next two page spread features Hellboy attacking the dragon back in these yellows and oranges. And then we get a spread that features his death. And it is nothing short of masterful, absolutely beautiful. You see the witch queen being pulled down by a thousand drowned witches, and she's holding Hellboy's flaming heart. That she had torn out of his chest and she tosses it away. It just gorgeous. Like mm-hmm. perfect two page spread. After that scene, the comic turns completely different. All of a sudden, like the battle is over. And we and the book it gets very quiet. There's no more dialogue. It's the reaction. From one more thing between Morgan Le Fay and the pig guy that also had stone hands. I love the pig guy. I do too, which they just call pig repeatedly. He had a name, but I forget it. Yeah, he said it at one point, And then no one would dignify him with a name. They just right. kept calling him pig after that. But the comic all of a sudden turns to these like smoky grays and greens. And we just see Duncan Fergredo showing us the ruins of England in the aftermath of this battle. And that's one of the things that I love about BPRD and Hellboy, Mike Mignola is not afraid no. to smash a city, man. This planet is effed. It is completely screwed. And the next thing we get, I mean, where there should be like a big exhale, like, oh, that was the end of Hellboy. But guess what? There's more. It's not the end of Hellboy. We get Hellboy in hell. And that is why I think Mignola was not shy to reveal this in advance of the book's because publication. The, the death is nowhere near the, the most death interesting is not the part end. of the story. Yeah, it's not like, oh no, the book is over because the character's dead. No, the character died and now the character's moving on in a different direction. Right, and if any, I mean like, if anything else where a lot of comics use a character death to sell issues... And that's really it. That's all you get in that book is the death of this character. And we go, oh, man, remember when so-and-so died? 
they are using the death of Hellboy to make the character even more interesting. They're propelling the story forward. To put, yeah, and that's there aren't a lot of writers or artists or even like books we can pull something like this off. This is the reason that Hellboy is one of my favorite characters, is one of my favorite books on the stand. I yeah. can't give this a bigger buy it than I'm giving it right now. You know, and I'm I did not read Hellboy until uh, right before the first movie came out. Matt and I were working at a, a, a shop together and we had a big Hellboy display set up and I was like, ah, you know, people keep talking about Hellboy. This movie is looking kind of good. I'm just going to take home all the trades. I am not a fan time. of the movies. I will say that right now. <laughs> but this was before the movie came out. Okay. I actually liked Hellboy 1 quite a bit. The love story is stupid. I agree. Anyway, uh, so I took home all the trades at the time and I don't know, at that time there may have been 10 or 12. I just plowed through them, like devoured them. And then I moved on to BPRD and I devoured those. Yeah, there's some great omnibus editions of those. Hellboys. The library editions. Absolutely worth it. Um, but as somebody who hasn't been reading Hellboy from the beginning and came in late to the party, I can't believe I wasn't reading this book from the start. If you have never read Hellboy before, pick it up. I don't know if this is the best place to start, but... Don't start here. Hellboy is an amazing comic. But know and, that it ends yeah. so well. It's a fully realized universe, and this book is... This is two masters at the top of their game. Absolutely. Creating really what is the perfect comic. And this is a strong buy it for me as well. It's time once again to review 10 comics at speeds fast enough to distract our audience from the fact that we're barely giving them any useful information. And thereby infuriating the hardworking creators that produce these comics. That's right. Yes, kids, it's time for the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed, go! Vengeance, number two. Uh, I love Nick Dragota's art here. Love it, love it, love it. That said, the tone of this book is completely different from the rest of the Marvel U. I'm kind of wondering where it's going, but I'm still interested, and it looks like they're cooking up a return of Bullseye. Bye. American Vampire, Survival of the Fittest. Uh, this is a great... Number three. <laughs> This is a great companion piece to the regular American Vampire, uh, written by Scott Snyder, so you know it's good, and art by, good lord, the gorgeous art of Sean Murphy. Yeah, man. Uh, Joe the Barbarian, Sean Murphy. Buy it! Ghost Rider, number two! Uh, I'm starting to dig Rob Williams' Johnny Blaze dialogue, although it does still remind me of Nick Cage. Hoss. I am not in love with Matthew Clark's art, and I used to think I really liked him, so I'm giving this a skimmit. Oh, man. Spider Island, Cloak and Dagger, number one. Surprise of the week. I, I don't know what I was expecting. Well, that surprise is Nick Spencer. I know, but that's like they're shoehorning in this t- Spider Island tie-in. That's what I thought in advance. But I read this book and it was really, really, really good. Gorgeous Emma Rios art. Buy it. Yeah, Emma Rios. Wow. Amazing Spider-Man 667. Uh, the Neighbor of the Beast book. <laughs> Here we go. Spider Island number one. I love the story so far. It got me really excited for the tie-ins and Shane Cheeser. Love me some Shang Chi. Giving it a buy it. Oh man. War of the Green Lanterns Aftermath, number two. You know, I know I said some kind of uh, positive things about the first issue. Yeah, you tried. I After reading the second issue, this is a complete waste of your money. Throw away. $4 down the toilet. Spinning wheel. Uh, it's completely pointless. Leave it. Bear itself, number five. Uh, speaking of big fights mm. this week, really, really fun stuff between Thor, the Thing, and the Possessed Hulk. Yeah, Great man. Fight scene, man. That and really was awesome. fun Tony and Tony Stark Odin interaction. 
Looks and like that, you're building something pretty cool. There was that Franklin moment I, I was talking about was earlier. Franklin moment. I'm not going to spoil it, but he uses his superpowers. Buy it. <laughs> New Mutants number 29. Uh, David LaFuente makes his debut on this book, and he is a much better fit. He is super uh, sexy, man. Than the Leandro Fernandez, who yeah. is also good, but he just didn't fit. He's no LaFuente. Uh, uh, his warlock is insane, and it's all about the uh, New Mutants... Uh, going to hell to rescue Hella, uh, or at least Danny Moonstar. This was great. Buy it. Spider Island Deadly Foes one shot. Uh, sets up a bunch of stories that'll be running through Spidey Island tie-ins. I liked the slot Hobgoblin story and was on board with Van Lady's Jackal until the Jackal sang, "Everybody must get cloned yeah. while raising Kane Parker from the dead." That was dumb. A little on the nose there. I'm giving it a skip. Booster Gold, number 47. Uh, the last issue of this series, I think, and uh, a Flashpoint tie-in. I've really liked this story, this series off and on, but I haven't been on board really with the Flashpoint tie-ins. Uh, Dan Jurgens is off the book, uh, off the art, and it's Rick Leonardi who is, leave it? <laughs> wow. I didn't need it. Okay. Leave it. Wookam! That is your ludicrous speed round, and Wookookam, maybe, two case, is the sound made when a New Yorker with newly acquired spider powers punches the hobgoblin in the face. Do you know what the most racist sound effect is? Wookookookam? Yeah. Now let's take a look at next week's comics and tell these nerds what they should be reading. But Joe, what's going to take your pickle this week? <laughs> I just forgot to erase that part. <laughs> this is why we didn't do it live on Google+. Daredevil number two Profesh. by Mark Wade and Paolo Rivera comes out next week, and I'm super excited because Daredevil number one was awesome. Daredevil number as worried I was about the tone yeah. violently changing. Do you remember how good my written review was? It was. I wonder if any of our fans will ever get to read it. Oh, man. <sighs> hmm. Joe, what'd you pick? All right, uh, Stuff of Legend, The Jester's Tale Number 1 by Mike Raked, uh, Brian Smith, and C.P. Wilson III. This is the book with the teddy bear, right? Stuff of Legend is the story of toys that come to life yes. to rescue their owner from the boogeyman. Uh, it is an amazing book, and I know it sounds like it might be goofy, toys coming to life, but it is dark, characters die, and the stakes are super high. I am really excited for this, which I think would be Volume Three of Stuff of Legend. Yeah, Get I gotta read. The, I gotta read the old ones. It's very I good. missed out on those. Very good. When the Revenge of the Nerds music comes in, you know it's time for us to reach deep into our THN mailbag and pull out a question from one of our devoted and good-looking listeners. It's time to ask a nerd, kids, and today's question comes from Mandy in Virginia. Dear Two-Headed Nerd, I'm not a comic reader, but my husband is, and he sometimes forces me to listen to your show, which sounds forces, like... Forces, Mandy. Which sounds like punishment when said like that, but honestly, you guys do a great job, and the show is just short enough I can't get sick of it. My question <laughs> is probably pretty obvious for most of your listeners, but as a comic outsider, it doesn't make any sense to me. Last week, several news outlets and websites reported that Marvel killed Spider-Man and replaced him with a black-slash-Hispanic kid. When I asked my husband if he was upset, he said Peter Parker isn't dead in the real Marvel Universe. When I pressed him on what he meant, he told me to ask you guys. So, here we go. Why was everyone reporting that Peter Parker was dead if he's not? Joe, this is an excellent question because we don't think about stuff it's like true. this. And Being in the fold, we just kind of go, oh man, that was great, but a totally different universe. Right, you know? and that's something we take for granted as comic fans. And when Mandy puts it this plainly... Telling somebody that it wasn't the real Peter Parker is not any simpler of an explanation. <laughs> Perhaps an oversimplification. Well, 
But it still makes no sense. It makes no sense if you are not already aware that there are multiple versions and multiple universes. So that and that's the brass tacks here. What we're dealing with, there are two different, distinct Marvel universes. The regular Marvel universe, which has been running since forever, yeah, nineteen forty-one, <laughs> from the yeah, about the forties, to the Ultimate Universe, which was started in the year two thousand with Ultimate Spider-Man number one, and the idea behind this was. Marvel wanted to revamp their characters for a younger audience and and deal with some of the continuity issues that didn't necessarily make sense, like how Spider-Man has been a teenager pretty much <laughs> since the 60s, and now he's about 25, you know? like Sure. So what they did was they created the Ultimate Universe, where we got an Ultimate Peter Parker who was a teenager who gets bitten by a radioactive spider in the year 2000. Genetically modified, not even Oh, that's, pardon me, a genetically modified spider. That's right. So basically, Mandy, it's just a modern take on the origin of a character that began before you and I were born. <laughs> so... Uh, so in a sense, I'm assuming, Mandy, that you're not an old lady. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with old ladies for all our old lady listeners out there. But this Peter Parker did, in fact, get killed recently in the pages of Ultimate Spider-Man. He's dead. He had a major fight with his arch nemesis, Norman Osborn, who is a different kind of goblin than the Green Goblin we're used to in the regular Marvel U. And basically, the Green Goblin beat Spider-Man to death. Yeah. And it was, and we was did a review of it a couple weeks ago. It was a big tear-jerking moment. Went really well. I cried. But Peter Parker, as we know him in the Ultimate Universe, dead. Peter Parker, as we know him in the regular Marvel Universe, the guy who we were just talking about in the pages of Spider Island, very much alive. So think of it this way. Two parallel running universes. And I'm not trying to get all Stephen Hawking here. But you have two different and parallel universes with characters that are very similar but subtly different. And anything that occurs in one universe does not necessarily occur in the other. So, like I said, regular Marvel U, Peter Parker very much alive, dealing with Spider Island, Ultimate Marvel U, Peter Parker is dead and has been replaced. Miles Morales. Miles Morales. The new Ultimate Spider-Man. 13-year-old black Hispanic kid. If that doesn't confuse you, I don't know what's going to. That ought to clear everything up. Yeah, baby, I hope we really helped because obviously... As always, if you guys have questions for the Two-Headed Nerd, you can email them to us at any time at twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Next week, get ready for the return of the comic pushers, where we are going to force yes. some comics down your throat. You're going to hate it at first. It's going to hurt a little bit, but then later on you start to like it and you get the itch from We We got a follow-up request. We do, and we'll be talking about that. Yes, by one of our original... Uh, back when it was required reading. That's right. Our, our original victim. That's right. Super exciting. He's back for more. Sort of, sort of break, it, break it down like this. That is it for the Two-Headed Nerd this week. If my snarky, holier-than-thou opinions and hungover Lou Zealand voice mixed with Joe Patrick's sugary sweet <laughs> attitude and strangely high-pissed Beaker-esque what? voice no. doesn't make you rip your headphones from your ears and smite your iPod, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes where your star ratings and reviews are the only measuring stick we have for our less-than-impressive Muppet-like masculinity. <laughs> As always, you can find all things Two-Headed and Nerdy at TwoHeadedNerd.com, where you can find our Twitter handles and our PayPal donate button, where your donations are greatly appreciated, and that's any amount, folks. And they directly result in meals for this monster and links to other podcasts, like our new buddies at the Flavorful Saucecast, who this week feature a dramatic reading of Wolverine, The Best There Is Number One, and it is the most insane thing you will hear this week. I highly recommend you check out our Facebook page, 
and I'll get a proper link up on the site. If that's not enough for you, head over to our Facebook page where you can become a fan of THN and answer the question of the week. This week's query, now as you heard, Matt and I are super pumped for Nick Spencer and Becky Clune's Victor Von Doom Mini. Victor. You cannot write my lines anymore. Whatever. We want to know who are your favorite female creators of the past and working today. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to our 10,000th download. 10,000! Would not be possible without you guys. Word to you, number 10,000, whoever you are. And until next time, True Believers, this is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Eat it.